0: Welcome to Silicon Valley Beat. I'm your host, Annie Gauss. Thanks for stopping by. Google is taking the wraps off a startup incubator that it runs internally, and somewhat in secret thus far, and beginning to show off projects that have come out of this incubator. It's called Area 120, and it's supposed to nurture new technologies created by existing Google employees before they bail and do something else. Put another way, Area 120 was launched back in March of last year as a way to test new ideas within Google and also as a way to keep bored Googlers from leaving to create their own companies. Now, Google has put up an official website for Area 120, and we're starting to learn a little bit more about new projects that have come out of this piece of Google. One, and probably the best known so far, is called Uptime, which is a new app for watching YouTube videos with your friends and letting you react and comment on the videos in real time. Uptime launched in invite-only mode in March, and they just opened up to the public a few days ago. Other projects include a personal stylist app called Taylor and an app for learning uh, learning to code called Grasshopper. Another is called AdVR, or Adver, I'm not quite sure. It's ADVR, and it is, as you may have guessed, a new way to place ads in VR experiences. Now, this team created a plugin that allows developers to insert ads into VR worlds. And if you're imagining a complete immersion into, like, a credit card commercial, don't worry, we're not there just yet. Right now, the ads come in the form of a little cube that you can basically stare at to open up a video ad. And it's still very much an experimentation and testing mode. Now, none of these projects are branded as being a part of Google and Google doesn't promote them actively. And there's no sign yet if any of these projects will become official Google products at any point, but we'll look out for it if they do. It's still pretty early days. Thanks for listening. Always appreciate your feedback on the channel and do fave this station for more tech and business news. This is Annie Gauss. quick follow-up on the reports that Tim Westergren is stepping down as CEO of Pandora. It's now confirmed that Westergren is leaving the post along with two other executives at Pandora as part of a big revamp at the struggling company. Pandora says it's searching for a new CEO now, but in the interim, the chief financial officer named Naveen Chopra will be stepping in to fill his shoes. Now, to backtrack, Westergren co-founded the company 16 years ago, and he rejoined as CEO last year. But recently, Pandora sold off a big chunk of its equity to Sirius XM, signaling that there are big, big changes ahead. Board members expressed confidence in the leadership shakeup, with one commenting that the company is in a, quote, better position than ever to capture an increasing share of the music listening audience. But with so much competition in music streaming, there is a lot of doubt out there about the company's future, including among many of you guys. One listener from the Made From Scratch channel had this question about what the CEO shakeup could say about the relationship with SiriusXM. Take it away. Hey, um, thanks for this story. Do you think that uh, given the CEO stepping down, Pandora will be more or less likely to Take an investment from someone like SiriusXM or someone else. Just wondering if uh, this, the uh, the founder's absence, somehow could signal that uh, they're ready for a deal, or that they're rejecting a deal, or you know, if it's completely unrelated. So, if you see any correlation there, I would love to hear about it. Hey, thanks for the question on Pandora's CEO stepping down and what their company strategy may be. Now, just to clarify the timeline for those listening, Pandora's CEO Tim Westergren is resigning, and just a few weeks ago in early June, the company said that it was accepting a $480 million investment from Sirius XM. a deal between the two companies had reportedly been in the works off and on since December. In return, Sirius XM is getting more than just a big chunk of stock in the company. In addition to a 19% ownership stake, Sirius XM will also be designating three board seats at the company, including the chairmanship, as part of this big deal. In other words, they're getting a big voice at the company. Tim Westergren is also leaving his board seat, and Sirius has yet to fill in all of the three seats so far. Speaking on behalf of the company's board, Roger Faxon said, quote, over the past several weeks, the board has taken a number of steps to refocus and reinforce Pandora. And a new CEO is part of that. The president and the C- CMO are also leaving, by the way. So this is a big high level shakeup that goes beyond just Tim Westergren. And it all suggests that Sirius XM is pretty serious about taking the reins, and that reshaping the leadership was a condition of the deal to some extent. That is my expectation. As for what is next, getting leaner and meaner seems to be on the agenda. Also this month, Pandora sold Ticketfly, which the company bought in 2015, and it sold it at a loss of about $130 million. Ouch. Just this week, too, Pandora said they would be stopping operations in Australia and New Zealand, meaning that it will now operate only in the United States. So they seem to be scaling back ambitions. What that means for their products and what will happen to their ownership over time, we'll have to wait and see. Some analysts are suggesting that it's going to refocus on just the radio aspect as opposed to chasing the on-demand model that Spotify is based on, for example. And that would truthfully seem to align well with the new ownership model that's dominated by Sirius XM, which, of course, is the world's largest radio company. So thanks again for the call in and for stopping by the channel. Stay tuned for more tech and biz news. What does it mean when a global ransomware attack only makes about $7,500? According to some security researchers, it means that attack should be labeled as something else entirely, with an entirely different motive. Now earlier this week, a cyber attack hit computers across a number of countries, including Russia, the US, and some in Europe, in particular Ukraine, and right away, the virus drew comparisons to WannaCry, which was a ransomware attack that similarly entered computers through phishing emails, then took over systems and demanded a ransom in Bitcoin. The new attack referred to as Petya has so far netted less than 8 grand as of this writing. Of course, that may increase But what's different this time is that the virus was intended more to destroy memory. In fact, a hacker researcher named Matt Swish studied the virus and found that the code was specifically designed to be more destructive of memory and files, suggesting that the ransom aspect was just a ploy to distract from the real purpose of the virus. What this all means, we don't know yet, no one is explicitly pointing the finger at any one perpetrator just yet, but some security experts are suggesting that because the virus was altered to destroy memory, that a nation state is the perpetrator rather than just some random hackers who want money. This story is still definitely taking shape, and I'll be sure to update with significant developments. But if any listeners out there work in cybersecurity and have expertise on this, I would love to hear your thoughts on this story. Look forward to your call-ins. Thanks for listening. More to come. Annie at Silicon Valley Beat. This is Jonathan, Chief of Design. And quick question following up from your interview with the FBI. Well, first off, very compelling information. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, now on to the question. You know, it seems like the you know the topic of ransomware. Uh, there's some tech savviness that's innately connected to it. Or at least it seems that way. Um, from the the news that you cover, is there is there anything that you find uh, from an educational perspective of helping non tech savvy people understand ransomware and its threats and and what it actually looks like in the real world uh, from a non-tech-savvy perspective. Just curious to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Jonathan, thanks for the call-in. This is such a key issue on what can be done to educate people on how to avoid malware, and in particular, ransomware, since it's generally speaking on the rise. As a matter of fact, I had to deal with this issue recently when a relative of mine For something similar, not quite ransomware, but a form of malware that froze the screen and then directed them to a bogus company that tried to get their money to quote unquote fix the problem. Anyway, at that point, I really came to appreciate the fact that not everyone is so immersed in technology and not everyone may have the savvy to spot the conditions of a malware attack. So I've also been thinking about what are the best ways to advise people on malware without just sounding like a total broken record, saying the same things, update your software, don't use dumb passwords, don't download weird stuff, back up your files, basic stuff like that that some of us may already be doing. To be honest, a lot of those things are kind of a lost cause, in my opinion. Even backing up your files on a regular basis requires some tech savviness, and just not everyone is going to do it. But the way I tried to explain this to people is that if a message pops up asking for money, it's not normal. At that point, call your nearest tech-savvy friend or relative and go from there. And also, I think it's probably a good thing to drive the message home that attachments are just bad. <laughs> this may sound really simplistic, but it is after all how a lot of viruses are spread. So I think from an educational perspective, that's another important point. Obviously, it's far more nuanced than this, but we should be just wary of attachments or links that look strange, teaching people to spot what the a normal URL structure looks like and what a sketchy one looks like. I think Obviously all of those things require some education and some and and I think businesses too have a responsibility to help show people this um, and encourage people to update update their software and do things that maintain cybersecurity hygiene. But just riffing using my own experience with this as an example, those are just some starting points that I try to impart to less tech savvy people that I think people can absorb and put into practice to some extent. Anyway, thank you again for calling in Jonathan and everyone else. Thank you for listening. Have a great night.